Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome to another episode of Backspin, brought to you by Inside Golf Magazine. Of course, that is the most read golfing publication in the country. Gary Barter is right next to me. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. We've got a lot to chat, a lot to talk about. Christmas show. Christmas show, John Rahm. Wow. Where do we start? Well, we're going to start in a minute about that, aren't we? Mm. Where do we finish? That's the answer we're looking for. How do you get a tour card, Gary? This time of the year, the month of December every year, we watch and sit back and see players battling to get a tour card somewhere. Demi Papadatis has played the Corn Ferry Tour last year. We're going to talk to Demi. He's going to give us some sort of insight into what it's like playing one on the Corn Ferry Tour, what he needs to do to get himself on that PGA Tour because he's clearly good enough. Who's battling for what at the moment? Harrison Endicott in the battle of his, oh, let's say, career, trying to lock down a f- one of the five cards. And unfortunately, the day we were going to be talking about Harrison's result in the tournament he's playing in, the PJ Tour Qualifying School, they've delayed it because of rain. So we've got to wait another 24 hours to see where Harrison Endicott finishes in this tournament. He is leading. He's two shots in front with one round to go if he finishes in the top five. In your words, Gary, how many starts? What, what, what would he gain with that top five? So he gets full status, but the but is that he'll probably get seven or eight of the first eight starts, and then there's a re-rank. Yeah, okay. And after that re-rank, then depending on how he went yep. in those starts, is depending on what sort of year he'll have. So he's a lot better off running inside that top five than he would have not, yeah, not going to the tour school. Currently, he has conditional status, which is that number between 126 and 150. And traditionally, conditional status will give those players maybe, depending on the year, 12 to 16 starts yeah, okay. for the year, which is pretty tough. Those starts aren't in... Big events, yeah, yeah. big money events, big FedEx Cup events, and and that's changed. Obviously, it's uh, like you're on a you're on a you're on a greasy pole, and you you're trying to grab onto that pole, and you most of the time you end up slipping down. So it's a it's a tough category that conditional category. Well, Demi's going to help us with uh, and what it, what it costs to play the Corn Ferry Tour. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. we'll be asking Demi about that. John Rahm, guys, before we go any further, obviously we'll be talking about the Australian Summer of Golf. It's just finished. What we saw, our observations of of uh, Minwoo Lee, Cam Smith, everything that's gone on there. But John Rahm, he's, he's, he's got the headlines with, with jumping to live for uh, somewhere between, we're hearing all these different amounts, somewhere between 500 million and a gazillion. I don't know whether wonder what the gazillion yeah, means. It's a, a, it's, a bazillion. Yeah, the, num- the number hasn't come out. It'll, It'll be a big number. Jumping to live golf means that obviously the PGA Tour have lost one of their star players and not only one of their best players, but a superstar as a, an entity on that tour, isn't he? I mean, he's oh, a, he's master's a champion. Package. He's definitely a, a marquee player. It was marquee a, character as well, guys, you know? Oh, it was huge. It was huge. It was huge to see, you know, just watching that interview and the questions he was asked at the interview. And I was really listening closely to what he was saying. And he, he spoke very well. Mm, mm. He spoke very well. He'd obviously thought about it a lot. And he was continually asked about the money. He was talking about the fact that, you know, he, he liked playing team sports. He grew up playing team sports. Mm. He liked college golf. He loved the camaraderie of the Ryder Cup. He feels that that's something that, you know, he motivates him. And he was answering those sort of questions. But then the the interview kept getting back to the money. He talked about Seve and he talked about Seve's legacy. In what way? Relative to his move? Well, what he ne- I think what he, a, ne- I think what he needed to push... Was he defending himself? No, no. He, he, look, he was really good in the interview, but I just, I just felt that all he needed to say was the fact that it gives him an opportunity to take golf all around the world. Right. right. And I think that, as you and I know, back in the day, whether it was Ballesteros, Nicholas Palmer, Watson... All the great players, they would travel. Like our Australian Open, if you look at the names on that trophy, those players would travel around the world. And even if they didn't realise it, at the time, they were giving people around the world an opportunity to see them play golf. So young kids going to tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like I got, mm-hmm. I got to see Jack Nicholas when I was 18 years of age. I, I got to see Ballesteros. Mm-hmm. I got to see all those yep. great players. And admittedly, we're in a time now with the internet, we're in a time with multiple tournaments being played every week on the TV. It's actually not the same as just physically being there and seeing them. So I think that if John had have said that this gives him an opportunity to represent golf, play golf around the world, which Liv do, mm. that would have been end of story. That's all he needed to say because mm. the PGA Tour have definitely, whether that was their design or not, 
over the last 15, 20 years, they've had all the players playing there all the time. And sometimes people aren't even aware that if someone like a Matt Jones wanted to come back and play the Australian Open, he'd have to get a release from the yeah, PJ yeah. Tour. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that is a if, point. If there was a PJ Tour right? event on that week, of course they would always say yes, but they still have a stranglehold over the player, mm. like when the player joins that tour. So I think all John had to say was that it's an opportunity now for him to travel all around the world, grow the game around the world, and that's the one thing Liv have clearly done. And the PJ Tour had an opportunity themselves many times over the years to say to their players, okay, you've all got to play in Australia mm. this year at this tournament. You've all got to play in, in Europe at this tournament. Like, they just haven't done that. Mm. They just mm. haven't done mm. it. So... Yeah, they've got a lot to answer for. Right? A lot of stuff's coming out that uh, that a lot of the punters and and maybe even you and I, you're over there every second day, the American tour with, with uh, your players. But certainly from my perspective, it's something that we took for granted that that was the ultimate place to play and whatever they said you would do. But when it gets to the point where there's an argument between a, a, the, the Jay Monaghan who's on $15 million a year with a bloke who's on three or four million dollars a year and we're seeing this filtering right down through to the guys that we don't read about every single week then there's an imbalance there's something not right and if and if jay monaghan's making these decisions as he has in the past that affect these guys that are you know winning that aren't making the money that he is then it, there's it's wrong this has been coming in some form for years i reckon now now that we see what's happening this breakaway this the greg norman world tour concept way back in 91 or two it'll be interesting who joins ram's team absolutely as yes. well so for, the, like, for the listeners sakes gary that's because there's now 49 players in live golf and that doesn't divide by four. So yeah, I, I, I got a feeling they'll have a thirteenth team. I have to. Surely. Yeah, and I think that there's been a lot of names being thrown around, and we're waiting. Who can you refute? We know Jason Day and Tony Finau have both refused. They've said no, definitely not doing it. Look, I heard Tyrrell Hatton's name thrown yep. around. Yeah, that's still he, he, that still hasn't been refuted. Chauvelet, Cantlay are both back in the mix, both being talked Which about. Which I'd find Cantlay's it hard. Bizarre I'd find it hard to to believe Cantlay because he's been so almost venomous against Liv. As far as Aussies going, I haven't got any info. Like we were hoping that Jed Morgan or Wade Ormsby or Travis Smythe might have come through, Kevin Yuan in, in that final qualifying series event, but they didn't snag one of those final three spots, unfortunately. The Rippers, it's fundamentally an Aussie team, so you'd like to think that moving forward next year, you know, I'd believe that obviously Cam, Leash and Matt Jones have got to find a fourth player. And we're doing the podcast today, just a few days before Christmas, and we still haven't heard of a fourth player. So mm. as far as that goes... That will be interesting, the fourth Australian, won't it? Yeah, like, I don't know if it'll be... I was trying to think, would it be Ryan Fox? And I thought, like, obviously, Ryan, he's a New Zealander, mm, but he can still... Yeah. But I don't know. I don't... He's got, He's just got a PGA Tour card. So last year, and, you know, he's obviously won... What, he won the Scottish mm. Open or the, the Dunhill? I'm not sure which one, but he's... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who who, there, who it would be. Minwoo has, has made it pretty obvious that he's not going to join. Yep. He was asked and had the there's this photo of him showing his PGA Tour, proudly showing his PGA Tour badge that he gained full-time access to. Look, when you and I come up with an opinion, like I was just about to say, you'd have to think at his stage in his career you wouldn't do it. But then Cam Smith wins, wins the British Open and goes to live within within a month of that. And you would have thought that timing of that was weird, you know, because that's... Well, maybe they're waiting for this December 31 deadline to make a decision. Yeah, which they're... Because t- if it does come together... They're sticking with it. Well, apparently, Tiger said they're still... Yeah. ...got designs to... 31st. ...talk. They've got a, another company, I believe it's the Strategic Sports Group, who you've read more about. Yeah, they're, they're, yes, they're, um, they're, they've gone right. They've... Uh, I don't know what the term is, the corporate term, but um, talks have got to the point where it's now pretty well locked in they may it's, be a co-investor maybe yes 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 sorry that's, that's okay term, yeah. yeah and that's big dollars i mean that's that's they're talking because they're aligned they're aligned they're aligned with baseball they're aligned with the red Sox. they're aligned with it's a huge massive a group of them okay um and they're talking hundreds of millions hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions okay like, yeah they're talking three billion dollars from that strategic uh, sports group guys so where does that leave live golf now the timing of of John Rahm going to live is is clearly very obviously slowing down of negotiations between PGA and PIF. You'd have to think it makes perfect sense, yeah. right? Yeah, to accelerate it along. Yeah, or or just get some mm. more um, some more leverage in that negotiation. 
Mm. Because if Ram goes, who else goes? Who's the other three? Um, you know, they're going to be players that are going to have an impact on the PGA Tour. Ram will definitely have a pretty good team. I can't imagine that Ram's going, and he wouldn't have he wouldn't have had a couple of other guys in his own mind at the same time. I couldn't imagine. Mm. Mm. I can't imagine he'd just go and just think, "Oh, well, just put me in a team and put anyone in the team." Because as he said, part of a team dynamic is the mateship, the the travel, the camaraderie. And I would presume they'd be a couple of people that he has good relationships with, which is why we were surprised Finau dropped out. Yeah, yeah. Because they play golf together, they practice together. I was surprised when Finau dropped yeah, out. Yeah, I, I, I would have yeah. bet. I would have bet ninety nine point nine percent that he was coming mm. across, mm. and that fell over. So there you go. Shows you what you and I know. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Okay, guys, that brings me to our next topic, the Australian Open, the Australian Summer of Golf, the Australian PGA Championship, the Australian Open. We were expecting big things. It had a vibe, it had an atmosphere before it even started. There was an atmosphere amongst all the media and amongst the the players and pros and coaches. This is going to be the best summer we've had for a long time. Did you see it that way? I thought, obviously, it warmed up at the, the PGA. I was up at the PGA at Royal Queensland, and it definitely warmed up up there. You You started to see some good golf, but I think the Australian Open was phenomenal. I, I, I've got to say, yeah, just before you go past the PGA, the PGA, um, they didn't have the amount of people I was hoping. Yep. They had a lot of people, but it brings up a cultural difference, I think, guys, with Queensland and New South Wales for me. Yeah, Queensland's so insular, you know, and, and God love them. They look after the, their own, and there's a border that goes between New South Wales and, and Queensland is bigger than Donald Trump could have built, I reckon, culturally. <laughs> and... and and it's kind of when you know when Cam, poor Cam Smith, um, missed the cut and, and was was in all sorts of trouble after Friday afternoon when he missed the cut. It was sad. He really felt like he'd let the country down. But when he missed the cut, Adam Scott, thank God, was leading. Minwoo Lee comes along and and they embrace Minwoo. But I, it was like, okay, if it was Cam leading or you know in the last group with Adam Scott, then maybe it would have been. But Sydney. It was just an international event. It was it, it and and quite often we see this in Sydney tournaments and. We cop a bit of flack from the Victorians and the Queenslanders that we're not as parochial as they are and where sports fans don't turn up. But that Australian Open, Gary, that was something special. It was like the perfect storm where we had a, a really good field. Like we did have a really good field. And we obviously it was the girls are playing as well. Mm. We're getting all cross-section of the golfing community watching that event. And with no disrespect to the Lakes Golf Club, because I, th- I think the Lakes was in awesome condition. Mm. I think... As far as the the course was used as a feeder course for the big field, as in that's why we needed two courses, it was still in great nick and they did a great job out there. But the Australian Golf Club, and even though I'm obviously attached to the Australian Golf Club, just the the way that event was run, the condition of the golf course, just the feel of the tournament there was like as as good as you can get. And And I've never heard so many players comment on the condition of that yes, course yeah, yeah. behind the ropes. Now, obviously, when no matter where you have a golf tournament and the winner will get up there and, and if people, pros have to speak publicly, they'll, they'll say how great the mm, course is. Yep. But behind the ropes, the, the comments that they were getting about that course, like Aaron Baddeley, I'm driving home on the Friday and I'm just listening to the radio and I hear Baddeley get interviewed and he was saying how it's – probably the best conditioned course he's ever played in his life, yeah. including Augusta. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. And Robert McIntyre said it's the best course he's ever played condition-wise, and he just come back from the Ryder Cup. He's yep. played the Masters. Hands down, he said. And Michael Block was overwhelmingly stunned on the golf course. Mm. He, he could not believe it. And he said he wished the Australian Open was on there every year, and he said that it should be the fifth major, which is a very interesting thing to say. He, he didn't have to say that. We talked about the Australian Open being the fifth major many, many years ago, mm. and then the Players' Championship come on. We've, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it, it's, it's quite, you know, obviously we had Dan on, mm. the, the mm. superintendent, yep. in our last podcast. Who also worked at Augusta, ironically. He did. He did. He, he, he literally worked there, and he goes there every year and helps prepare the golf course, and he clearly... He stepped up. Mm. Yeah, you know, he stepped up. He got that golf course, and and I've like Adam Scott. You know, you know, I'm in the, I'm just in the, in the 
Niblick Bar, which is like a like a players' lounge area. And Adam Scott's talking about how amazing the golf course is. So it's a sad thing is we won't have a tournament at the Australian for probably ten years now. Oh, it's that, that's the way it's going to. Yeah, it's it? just the way these rotations go and state governments. You know, I think it's going to go down to Melbourne again yeah, next okay. year. Whether 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 it'll be the girls and the guys again together, we don't know. We're not sure. Oh, you're not you're hearing something. No, different. I just think that you you wonder if that's going to be our plan moving forward. But next year, moving, we'll, we'll see. I think so, it's down to money, isn't it? It's down to money. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the government put the money in. Mm. So I guess, I guess the – is that state or federal? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? Mate, it's usually state government, usually, just just from when I see the announcements. Mm. So, so Victoria's got to come up with a plate. Which they do, though, don't they? they yeah, I guess they, so. I hope they, so. They, they, when we had Daniel Andrews as the Premier down there, and he was he's a fanatical golfer, very good one, a single figure, three or four or five handicapper. Yeah. Obviously, he would have been pushing, but, you know, maybe Adelaide. My God. <laughs> that's a thought yeah and they still have some, they obviously have, great, they have some great golf courses so you know Royal Adelaide that's a that's world class all those all those courses down there could still really do it well mm. so yeah I think it's really healthy I think that the tournament was really really good like it was really positive obviously the members at our club were pretty proud of the golf course it's something yeah, that yeah. They, that's, that's they, worth that's they, worth yeah, well, they, too, they obviously make the sacrifice there yeah. to you know, to play limited golf before and, and make the decision to have it there again if they yeah. it's up to them. Yeah, isn't it? so it and then obviously Neiman winning in a playoff was pretty exciting, hitting a driver and a wedge into the last. I looked hole, at the playoff. Five. I looked at the playoff numbers. Just caught it up on my screen there, and and they combined the two scores on on the hole, and it was Hoshino eight, two birdies, two under. Neiman seven, <laughs> three under for two holes. Yeah, imagine having two birdies and losing a playoff. I mean, obviously it's a the winter change goes. It was downwind off the right that eighteenth hole. So you yeah, can- what I found interesting about it on the seventy second hole in real time, Neiman hits it into that mm. marquee area. Yep, which is which is a hazard for the members. It's oh, a shot penalty, is that right? Okay, yeah, but the Australian Open week they take those hazard pegs out. So it just shows you how the game can be won or lost on a bit of luck. A bit of fortune, and you know the mem- members. We're thinking, gee, you know, if that was us, we'd be taking a, taking a penalty a drop. drop there. Yeah, it's and, over. Yeah, and then, lost. and where you drop it, you're dropping it behind a tree and chipping it out sideways. <laughs> so his total would have been seven on one hole. <laughs> right, so, and then Ashley Buhai won the ladies, and Minji nearly run her down. So that was exciting. There was only one shot in it. So yeah, the tournament was. That's interesting. I found the two the two ways of victory so contrasting in the eagles and birdies of the boys. That last six holes of, of Minji versus Buhai, where they clearly weren't at the top of their games, but grinding it out, getting the making the best, making a bogey out of a double bogey, getting up and down from, from a place where you normally wouldn't, just gouging away trying to get a par to win. But the boys, it was like, you know, the I mean Neiman was like five under the back nine and you know, Adam Scott, Lucas Herbert all got to the lead and then went and then fell over but it was like the, the men's scoreboard was in, incredibly dynamic and electrifying the women was just this grind and they were tough Ashley Buhai is tough she's gritty oh yeah and the shot she hit on the 18th gauge you know how close this is This is she's, just, she's holding a one shot lead over Minji I think Minji had gone I'm not sure the order of play for their third shots they'd both laid up and they were playing their third shots and Buhai the wind's coming off the right. That flag is short right. Looks like it's in the water, doesn't it? Because when you're on that, when you're on that fairway and you're looking at that pin, it's a bit like the 17th at Sawgrass, where on the TV, when you're watching a lot of above camera shots, you're sort of seeing the obviously the player and, and the green. But when you're literally at eye level, it, it just looks like it looks like a knife on the water. Yeah. And there's a pin there sitting there, <laughs> and it doesn't even look like it's hardly on the green. It's a very intimidating shot. That's where you've really got to just trust your carry number and obviously their skill level to suck it up and hit a mm. shot. Buhai got some advice from the caddy. The last word as, as she's walking into the shot apparently was... Don't hit it in the water. No. No. <laughs> it was... Geez, you've taken the edge off this point. It's got nothing coming. I've got nothing to cover that now. Uh, it was um, use the wind. Trust the wind. The wind's your friend sort of thing. I can't remember their wording of it, but yep. just let the wind do its job. Yeah. Yeah, because you have, you have to literally hit it almost over. Got to go. Over the, over the, hitting, over you're water. aiming at the water, and yeah. if it doesn't draw, if the wind mm. doesn't kick up and do it do its job, then it's in the water, and you, you've lost exactly. the straight open. Yeah. Wow. Jeez, that's, that's, that's the ed- You took that, the edge that, off that. That, didn't is, that is insightful. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, though, talk I can to, be. I can talk, be. No, talk, maybe not today. Talking to quite a few of the members after the tournament, a, a common feedback I got was the fact that they enjoyed watching a lot of the girls play. Yeah. Because okay. I think 
when you're normal meat and potatoes member, and I think the average age at the Aussies is about 63, they really could relate a lot more to where the girls were hitting it, how the girls were laying up, just the finesse shots they were hitting, the type of chip shots they were choosing. And we love watching the guns play. Mm. But Neiman hitting a nine iron, hitting a wedge into the last yeah, hole yeah. of the Australian, unless you're physically there or you play the Australian, that's it's like, it's not even real. Like, mm. it's not even real. Like, really good young players are, you know, normally hitting a, lucky to get on that green in two. And, mm. and, and they're doing that. Admittedly, it was downwind. But it's just incredible how that played out. But they did relate to the girls and did enjoy watching the girls. It's interesting on the practice tee too, Gary. I'm, I'm always keen to watch the girls in the practice fairway. And, and when, they're, when they're beside the men, it's, it's, uh, it, it's incredibly, you know, it's obviously very different. But the thing that stands out to me is um, the girls, the really top, top line women professionals, hit the ball so purely. The strike is so pure. There's no downward compression squeeze, bit of a chunky. It's just this perfect strike, shot after shot after shot. And the men, it's a little more varied. I mean, what, watching Minwoo Lee, for example, you'll see a, you'll see him go through his routine. Then he'll start hitting cuts and draws and low, you know, shots, and then get him up in the air. High, high draw, he struggles a little bit with because he's changed his goal swing. But you know, you can see him thinking, processing all the shots he needs. Whereas the women, it's just I just have to play perfectly today to have a, to have, to have a chance to win. That's my point, guys. That was that was the end of that. No, I, no, I think uh, yeah, because I think with their with their distance, their ball control has to be exceptional, and their spin has to be exceptional. What I notice is their accuracy. Yeah, their accuracy is very very consistent. Distance control and accuracy mm. is unbelievable. Rikuo Hoshino, Gary Rikuya mm. Hoshino. Yep. What did we make of that? Where did he come from? Why did he nearly win both? Yeah, well, he's a very good player. Like, he's won in Japan. Yeah, he's won six it, times in Japan. Six, yeah, six times in Japan. And he had his first year this year on the, the DP World Tour. Yeah, well, Jeff Guan... Jeff didn't do anything well, brilliant. Well, well Jeff Guan played two rounds with him, first two rounds at the Aussie, I think, okay, with so him. Okay, so Jeff, one of, your, one of your charges, right? And Jeff played with him, I think, once or twice up in Queensland. Oh, okay, okay. And Jeff just said that he, he has no weaknesses, and he said he putts... Yeah, like a, a joke. Putter. Yeah, he said he putts incredible, and he only knocked off those both events. Yeah, they're like career changing events for him, aren't they? European Tour win so early in his European Tour career, and yet he just made putts with his eyes shut when he needed to. Well, yeah, but uh, he's gutsy. He's we, yeah, we've talked about that. The, the putting component. You've got all the non-negotiables that we can learn with putting. We can learn about the face to the path, and we can learn about stability with the body, and we can we can learn about starting the ball on the line. We can learn about distance control and then there's that beautiful algorithm that great putters have where they're combining the the speed of the putt with the the line they've selected there's all those things but then there's the courage component there's that point that we talked about with cam smith how or tiger woods was famous for it jack nicholas was famous for it where they can they can make that putt that six eight foot putt in the wind on a crackly spiking green late in a sunday afternoon it's rare isn't it and to get that ball in the hole, the intestinal fortitude and the courage, clearly he has that as well. Because it, it just the, the putts that he made when he needed to make them in critical parts of the round, those 10-footers, 8-footers, that, that to me shows that he's got something mm. special. Absolutely mm. does, yeah. So keep an eye on his, his name. What you and I clearly didn't have. Oh, that bit. The opposite. Man, there were so many things internally moving with me. Like every organ was moving inside, inside. not outside. Yeah, borderline. One, one particular organ was, was gave me a bit of trouble. <laughs> now, that was um, thankfully that was before I hit off most times. Oh, yeah, and um, yeah, and no, I won't go down. I, I have. I, I used to throw up a fair bit too, guys. So two organs. I suppose there's a there's an organ in your throat somewhere as well as the other one. Well, at least you're, at least you're going, ready to go and play then. The two organs, yeah. Yes, mm. you know, no, I throw up on the course. Oh, on the course, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. On okay. some of the most beautiful golf courses in the world, I've thrown up on okay. those magnificent places. I could, I could name them if you like. <laughs> Guys, we're going to come back after this with a chat with Demetrius Papadatis. I can't say that name too many times. I love that name. Mm. He'll be back on backspin with us just after this. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter. <laughs> 
Well, Gary, we've got Dimi Papadatis on the line, and I've been looking forward to this for a while because this is a five-time winner on our tour, four-time winner on the Australian tour. Amazing tour. player. He's a champion bloke too. But doesn't get the attention of the likes of a Michaluzzi or a Jed Morgan. Mm. Dimi, welcome to the show. Welcome to Backspin, mate. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Our topic this morning, amongst a million other things, Dimi, has been a tour card. How do you get one? How hard is it? European tour, Australian tour, the obviously PGA tour. You had a good year. You're, you're taking steps steps in the right direction with that because you had a pretty good year last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, yeah? Yeah, I did, yeah. I had a pretty good season. I was fortunate enough to get a start at, at the start of the year, my conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour in Chile and flew over last minute for a late call-up and thought I'd give it a shot and had a great week. Finished second there and then ended up getting me exempt for the rest of the season. So it was, um, yeah, it was pretty funny how it all worked out. So, Dimmy, the Corn Ferry Tour, we all look at that tour obviously it's a pathway into the pga tour week in week out what are those golf courses like what are those like those players you've got a lot of young college kids you've got xpj tour players that have come back and it's pretty cutthroat i noticed that the players play almost every week as well like it just seems a very very tough grind that particular tour what's it like definitely a great experience to be able to play over there this year i never really had my sights on the u.s i've always you know, I've been playing in Europe the last six or seven years on the Challenge Tour and the DP World Tour. And it was so different playing in the US. Uh, the Corn Ferry Tour is so cutthroat. Even with, you know, the guys that are there this week at Q School, you've got to finish top 40. That doesn't actually get you a card. It gets you status. So if you finish 40th, get through the first three stages, finish 40th, you get the first eight starts. And in the US, they've got all these reshuffles every the first one's after eight events. You get through that, then it's the next four events, then it's another four. So you've pretty much got, you know, gun to your head the whole way. Even once you get through final stage of Q school, then you've got to perform again, and you've got to perform again and again just to stay on the tour. So I was fortunate enough to have a, you know, I didn't, I just got to start, luckily. And I played so well that first week running second that, you know, got me through all the re-ranks and I could play pretty freely for the rest of the season. Just to put that uh, in perspective, Demi, that was a playoff loss, wasn't it? I mean, a yeah. loss, loss. <laughs> the yeah, second, well, congratulations yeah, on the second, yeah. but a playoff loss. I read some details about that last night. You should have won that, mate. How long was that putt the guy made? He chipped, he, he, had, a, he had a terrible chip shot and then made some crazy putt and then you lipped out? Yeah, I was sort of, I was, you know, always for that week in particular, my goal was obviously to make the cut because you've yep. got to get in that first re-rank. So, yeah, after the... Second round, I think I was running top 25, and top 25 gets the following event. So that was wow. my next goal once I made the cut. And then going into the final round, I think I was probably five shots off the lead running ninth and got off to a really good start. And I was actually finished my round. I shot seven under and I was 21 under. And I think the, the guy leading, Ben Coles, he was tied with me with two holes to go and he bogeyed 17. So I was warming up for a playoff on the range and actually had the outright lead there for a little bit. And he came up 18, a relatively easy par five, but in the situation, not so easy. And he hit it over the green and made a great up and down to force the playoff. And then we both birdied the first playoff hole, back down 18 again. We hit the green in two and both two parted and then we both hit it long in the second playoff hole. I chipped it to about eight or nine feet. He hit it just on the fringe to about 15 feet, and he rolled it in, and I just missed mine, and that was it. So um, it could have easily gone my way, but I was very happy with the week. Would that have changed anything had you have won that playoff? Would that would anything have uh, rankings? Would that have improved dramatically? Or Looking at it now, it wouldn't have. Right. Um, I probably would have just still fallen short of a PGA Tour card if I won that week. Right. I didn't have the greatest of seasons. I still I had a top 10 in Knoxville and I finished 14th in the, the final event, but it wasn't you know a great season outside of you know three or four weeks. So it didn't make that much difference. But at yeah. the time, you know, yeah, that would have put me really deep in the top 30. Yeah, okay. And Ben Coles ended up going on to win the money list. Oh, really? This year, yeah, he won. He had an outstanding year. So he's fully exempt on the PGA Tour. He'll get all the elevated and... He gets everything next year, so that was a yeah, pretty good season for him. Wow. He's been a good player for a long time. He's been on and off the PGA Tour, hasn't he, yeah, Coles? Yeah, he's sort of bounced on and off, and I think that was his first, in Chile, that was his first win in 10 years. Oh, wow. no. Yeah. Mm. So How fine is the, the line? Well. 
Yeah, and as you were saying how cutthroat it is over there, that with all the re-ranks, there's always good players coming through, coming into the tour, PJ Jewel guys falling back, guys qualifying in. So, you know, you've got 156 guys that are in form. It's like if you're out of form at all on the Corn Ferry Tour, you've kicked off the tour. I, I noticed on the Corn Ferry Tour, just the cuts are so low, aren't oh, they? they're crazy, aren't they? They're, they're crazy low. Like it's, yeah. it's almost like every, everyone must get on the first tee and it's just, just attack. Yeah, if you tee off in the afternoon... You're guaranteed to be starting eight to ten shots back, maybe twelve shots back. Like they go so low. In saying that, the courses are relatively easy. You know, they're quite soft. The pins are tucked pretty close to edges. They are scorable, but at the same time, you know, when you've got 156 good players playing, getting after it in pretty good conditions, you know, the scoring is always going to be low, and that's obviously why the cuts are so low. And I remember playing in Wichita, Kansas. I made the cut. I think the cut was seven under or six under and I, I made the cut I was at eight under and I played maybe six holes into the Saturday and I was one under par through six I got it to nine under and I was running 57th and the leader was 12 under so I was three shots off the lead and I was Man. running 57th and he had a one shot lead so two shots back from second and so there's 55 guys or 56 guys within three shots of the lead it was just so deep and such a fine line so you got to be obviously playing well but you you do need a few things to go your way out there so i guess the mentality demi um, and tell me if i'm wrong would be corn ferry there's no real point in coming fifth or sixth in a pj tour event fifth or sixth could could earn you half a million dollars or something but in this case, it's not It's not about money at all, is it? So it's just, where's the flag? Would that be the case? Where's the flag? Give me the club and I'm going straight at it? A little bit. You know, it's still a good accumulation of points. Right. Um, you know, once you're inside the top 10, you get pretty good points. Top five's really important. Yeah, okay. So you've got to be careful. Yep, like, if yep. you're going to have a good week and you're not going to win or you don't need to be throwing points away or shots away mm. in the last round because... There was quite a number of guys that didn't have a win this year that got on the PGA Tour. Okay. And quite a few guys that actually had a win and didn't get on the PGA Tour. So it can go both ways. You've mm. got to have quite a lot of good results throughout the year. But, you know, those top fives are pretty valuable. Jimmy, just a bit of an insight, just for someone that goes and plays the Corn Ferry Tour, with your accommodation, your caddy every week, your food, your entry fees, what do you reckon it's costing a player to play that tour? Like in, as in financially, what do you reckon they'd be up for? Quite a lot. My caddy, like if I convert it all to like Australian dollars, my caddy, you know, two grand a week. You've got to have a, there's no shuttle buses or anything like that, like we have in Europe or on the Asian tour. So you've got to get your own rental car. So that's anywhere between 500 to $1,000 a week. And we'll get an Airbnb most weeks. I share with Curtis Luck and Pontus Noel home. And that's anywhere between, you know, 700 to 1200 a week for accommodation. And then you obviously got to fly to the tournament and flights are very expensive at the moment over there. So you're looking at, you know, you can't get a flight cheaper than 300 US, which is 500 Aussie. So you're anywhere between, you know, usually it's five, five and $800 a week to fly to an event or you're just up for a 12-hour road trip somewhere. How many events did you play last year? I think I ended up playing 18. And then you've got year. you've got your weeks off in between. Yeah, and you got your weeks off in between. Unfortunately, I've got a good friend, Hugo, who lives down in Jupiter, Florida, who I stay with. I've got a, quite a few friends over in the US, so I might try and base myself with them just to sort of save a bit of cost and just have a bit of company for the weeks off while you're trying to have a bit of a rest and get ready for the next stretch of events. I guess you might have some sort of black book. <laughs> I mean, you're a Greek god, but let's face it, um, you're a rooster. I figured you've got a, like a Tiger Woods bloop, you know, full of... <laughs> but no, it's no, not. I'm not on his level. I'm not on his level. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough gig. You're, you're going to do it again, obviously, next year. And what have you learnt in terms of playing, outside of what you've just said, in terms of, you know, is there a... Is there a point in a round where you have to start thinking, now I need to protect this, do I need to attack, what do I... Do, have you learnt something more than you didn't know before yeah. this year? Yeah, for sure. A lot of the courses we play are going to be the same this year. The Corn Ferry does the same sort of rotation most years, which okay. will be quite helpful. The type of golf I'm getting used to, it's quite strange coming from Australia and playing in Europe. Course management's a big, you know, very vital knowing when to go at pins and where to miss it and things like that. Whereas in the US, it, you know, all the Corn Ferry courses, you know, if you've got a five iron and it's 195 metres to a tucked pin, 
you've actually got to go for the pin. And that took me a little while to get used to because it's so soft and the rough's so mm, long around mm. the green. I'm not a great rough keeper. I'm working on that at the moment. But over in the US, you could land it next to the hole, rolls off the edge, and you've got 10-foot chip out of the rough for birdie. It's a lot better than having 50 feet from the other side of the green for birdie. When you and I were hitting balls last week, you were saying to me that a lot of the golf courses there, if you can take them on off the tee, which you're a great driver of the ball, you do get a lot of opportunities in between 120 metres, 90 metres, 130 metres, 90 metres, 80 metres. And you felt that's something last year that you weren't as sharp with, just a lot of your pitch shots, which are real scoring shots. Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely something I've let slip in my game the last couple of years. And, you know, the Corn Ferry definitely suits, you know, if you're driving it well and you can take it on, it's just wedges in all day, short irons and wedges. You don't have to be... It obviously helps to be a good long iron player, but it's not as important as what it would be in Australia or Europe. And then on top of that, it's obviously you're going to have a lot of birdie opportunities. The greens in regulations are going to be quite high just because it's quite benign conditions and soft conditions. So, you know, averaging between, you know, 14 to 16 greens in regulations is pretty common out there. A lot of guys that hit it really well will hit 17 or 18 greens. Um, And you've got to be putting well. That's obviously going to be the... You know, the divisor out there is you got to be holding some putts to try and get yourself separated from the rest of the field. Yeah, I think like a lot of Aussies, with our culture and the courses we've played on and our, our conditions, especially our weather, our wind conditions, your game is definitely suited to bigger, stronger courses. And I think that the goal, obviously, for you, which is no doubt you want to play the PGA Tour in 25, I think that'll suit your game better anyway. Like, because a lot of guys that do jump from the Corn Ferry PJ Tour back to the Corn Ferry on the PJ Tour, you definitely need a little more ball control. They're sort of harder, faster greens, tucked, tucked pins, and like a lot of Aussies, I think like for like, you probably wouldn't find that level any different, if not a bit easier, compared to the rest of the field. Which, which sounds strange because people would think, well, the Corn Ferry, they're clearly not as good as the guys in the PJ Tour. Yeah, but that's a misconception. But our, yeah, it? but it's not. It's I remember our, our Stoltzy played the Corn Ferry four or five years ago, but he, he'd won on the PJ Tour. Even he found his level of golf, like for like, was so much better on the PJ Tour compared to the Corn Ferry because the courses weren't separating his game and his artillery. And that's how I feel it's going to be like you as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah, possibly. I'm hoping that and, yeah, it'd be great to find out. But the I think going off the tournaments that I've won and played well in, it's always been quite... You could say high scoring, you know, not too many under par and quite tough conditions. So they're the tournaments that I've seen to excel at and had good results in. I've never been one to go really low or really, you know, shoot 28 under to win a tournament. But, you know, quite often I've won in really windy, tough conditions where it's been, you know, eight, ten, six under par, four round total. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, like that and it, it suits me. Yeah, well, you've won the New Zealand Open. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm going over his wins. And he's second the, the, second at the Australian Open. Yeah, at the Lakes. At and the it Lakes. Blew, it was a miserable week. And week. he was in the last couple of groups in the Aussie Open, one of the years that Matt won. He played with Paul, Dimmy played with Paul Casey. So clearly he's he can play at a world-class level. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the Vic Open, I mean, that's 13th Beach. Yeah, you've got to be. That's that's links. Mm. That's that's pure mm. links. Yeah. yeah, and 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 obviously people say you know you, you've played in Europe, but even a lot of those we would think back here that the European Tour you're playing at courses like Royal Birkdale every week, but it's not yeah, like that, is yeah. it? No, not at all. No. no, very different, and especially you play so many different countries, different styles of golf, and it changes every week. But the weather is yeah, it's pretty brutal in Europe. Like you'll never play. There's a difference in the US and Europe if you get. A late tea time in Europe, you know you're up against it. Whether it's Thursday or Friday, you really have to grind it out most of the time. Same here as in Australia. Yeah. Whereas in the US, you could be teeing off at one thirty, and it's dead still, and it stays like that the whole afternoon. So the ball's going an extra 3 or 4% further because it's so hot, and there's no wind at all. So the course is playing shorter and quite easy. You'll have guys playing Friday afternoon, and the cut you know, it could be in the five under and you think, oh, I'm going to make a cut and it ends up being seven and you play two. So people just keep making more and more birdies out there compared to Europe where it's sort of like a bit of a lot more grind style of golf where you, you 
and close to school. Will you be playing in Australia in January, February, Demi? I'm starting off on the concert. I might be able to play one or two events. I'm going to um, play the New Zealand Open. But the concert tour starts in the Bahamas, January 14. Uh, I've got two weeks in the Bahamas. Then we go from there to Panama, then Colombia. There's a two-week break. Then I'll play New Zealand Open, Chilean Open, which is the one I played ball in last year. And there's another two-week break and then starts off in the US. So then the first six events are Central and South America and Bahamas and then the last 20, 20 or 21 events. It sounds incredibly exotic, but we've just talked about the fact that it's not. Demi, the Australia is on your team, mate. Definitely Gary and Larry and everyone here at Backspin and Inside Golf. You're way too talented not to be on that PGA Tour. So thank you very much for being part of the show, and good luck for 224, mate. Cheers, Demi. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you, mate. Talking to someone like Demi Papadalis or Demetrius Papadalis, as I prefer to call it, because I just love the name. A player of that ability, a player I know how well he can play. I know, and we talk about how obviously, if you're a professional, you can play. But there are some that are better strikers of a nut, better controllers of their ball, powerful than others. Demi fits into that, right, guys? He's got that bit that that little X factor where he can sort of take on a like a big boy's strong golf course. Mm. He he definitely has a short game. To if he does attack a course and miss the green on the wrong side, which the commentators are go, look, you just can't miss it mm. there. He can get it up and down. So he's got he's got all those attributes, and I think he's probably been a late bloomer as well. Mm. You know, he, he came through. He, he was a very good amateur golfer, but it wasn't like he was the the next phenom mm. or standout. He turned pro probably earlier than people thought he should have turned pro. You know, everyone says, oh, you should play more amateur golf, get more experience, but he just he just bit the bullet, and he. Sort of, he's been playing and preparing in the rigors of that environment for a long time. He can win, which is which is interesting. You mm. get a lot of players that are good players that can't get it done at the end of a tournament. But he he's he has that whatever that is. But you know, like anything, you've got to get yourself in those positions. He gets close, doesn't he? he gets close to a card. Gets close to it. Loses in a playoff. He oh, can- mate, I've coached him three different times. Like we've had a few years together. Then he'll have a break see someone else and then then ring you back up and then we'll work together for a few years and then you'll have a break which i understand being a golf teacher you you know obviously to help somebody you want to be with someone on their journey but if you're grinding away with somebody and and you're not getting anywhere and i I know i know as a golfer myself that you sometimes just want to find Mm. something to change something like you said off air if you miss five cuts in a row and you're going to the same coach that coached you through those five oh. cuts you got you yeah. might be thinking yeah. well maybe i should and and, and it's it's you know they always say that you know when a player's battling for a while it, it starts off with i'll change my driver yeah, i'll change yeah, my putter yeah, yeah. and then it's like i'll get rid of my caddy yep. and then you know normally normally the coach will go next before the manager mm. you know he, he'll, he'll sort of hang in there Wife, <laughs> <husband>. <laughs> yeah so so and then and then Dimmy, yeah, we've started working again recently, and the thing I like about it, it's it's this time of the year. He's just come off the back of yeah, he would have been disappointed with the mm. Australian Open, Australian yeah, PGA yep, performances, yep. but he's straight back into practicing now and getting ready for January. I think January fourteen, he said he's leaving for the or playing Bahamas. Bahamas, it's full yeah. speed ahead for him. Yeah, he, and he he, lo- he he loves the game. He he loves the battle, but even the expense of that battle. You know, someone who's done quite well, won quite a few tournaments. It's not like Dimi would be driving around a Ferrari and living living on the water. He, he you know, he he's he's got this opportunity next year to get on the PJ Tour, and then obviously benefit from all those riches. Mm. So that that's going to be the the goal is to is to get him. I think this time his age, his understanding, his experience, and he's probably at a perfect time to yeah. play his best golf of his life. And you look at a lot of players in the past, like Tom Lehman. Yeah, I mean, he missed yeah. his card eight times. He's he played his first PGA Tour event at thirty years of age yeah. or something. Went on to become world number one. Yeah, there's been a lot of players that have taken a long time to get out there. And Dimmy is, I think, he's ready right now. Mm, mm. He's fit. Like he's not. He's, he, he could be sixty years old and still be. If fit. He get, you know, he's the sort of guy that's going to retain that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like if you if you like, Dimmy's just got to get his level to his golf, the level of his fishing. 
Like, he's the best fisherman. If you check out his Instagram and you see the fish that's on that Instagram, it's unbelievable. Fair, it is unbelievable how good this guy is. I, I said to him only a week ago, I said, mate, if there was some world ranking for fishing, like, you'd be in the top 10 in the world. The order of fish. Yeah. There'd yeah. be no Q skills for him. Yeah, no, it's yeah. straight in. Okay. No, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah okay. so. Gaz, I usually have a, a review of a piece of golf equipment. I'm currently, I'm not finished with what, I'm, what my research is about what types of different golf balls there are and what should I be using with my diminishing swing speed. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, I haven't put myself on a launch monitor yet. It is available. You can do it. Mount Broughton Golf Course, we have a professional club fitting, equipment fitting. I'm not looking at you because you're, you're, you're giggling. And he's going to have a look at uh, – He's going we're going to go through the process together. What's the best golf ball for me to use and how I get the most out of it? I it's not always I, distance. I reckon it's, it's really anything. overlooked. Oh, so do I. Yeah, and seriously, it is. Like, it is really overlooked. I, I find- Bridgestone were one of the first people, I guess, to, to come out with a ball fitting system. It was like 10 years ago. No, I know. I remember I, we had a guy- 20 years ago. I think his name was Jason Bridge. He was at yeah, that's he was, right. He was at the club and he was doing a ball fitting on a Wednesday. This has got to be ten years ago. I reckon he was. That might have been Bridgestone. And even now, I would definitely once a week say to someone, "Why are you using that ball?" Mm, mm. I'll be always use this ball. And it's we, the best. So and so uses it. Yeah, and it is it is definitely an advantage for your own game to find out what is the best ball for you. And Sometimes you can't find the perfect ball, and what I mean by that is you can get on a launch monitor, and you can get a you can get a like just get your expert to look at a ball fitting for you, and it might be an amazing ball for you, but it mightn't feel that good when you chip the ball mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Now then, there's then there's that decision you make: Do I want to lose five yards off the tee because I know the other ball goes further, but do I use this ball? Because it's shorter off the tee, but it's so much better for my chipping, my putting, because my it's bunker be- play. And, 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 and that's often based on how much backspin you get with that golf ball, right? Absolutely. We all t- every manufacturer, every person talking about having to having a golf ball that they can spin backwards or have a, have a chip shot and it checks and pulls up. Well, even the feel but of that, it. That, that can often hurt that, can't it? Yeah, just, just the feel of the ball off the face of the club when you putt the ball. Some people like that real clicky feel. Mm. Some people like a softer feel. And often they'll look at a putter that will give them that. Yeah. But the ball's going to be the first one that – and if you look at the game and the, and the makeup of the game and, and your scoring component of the game, and you look at the putting component, the chipping component, the bunker play, the pitching, in the value of your score, your score, which is what you want. Apparently, you should, yeah. That, that, that's, they're the most important bits, even though the distance now is, is such a big, big thing for all of us, as in I want to hit the ball further, I want to hit the ball further – and I, the, you know, the amount of conversations I've had with a lot of my students, and I'm talking right from professional golf through to 36 handicappers, and they'll say, I've got this new driver, it does this, it does that, it goes this far now, it's amazing. And eight weeks later, I go, what's your handicap? <laughs> oh, it's the same. <laughs> Gee, that, that driver's done, it's been amazing for you. You can be like, ruthless, can't you? You can be brutal. No, I'm just saying that. No, you, you're just, I'm <laughs> just saying too, yeah, you can be no, ruthless. No, so it, People it is, pay you for that, Gary. Pay you a lot of money for that, that advice. Well, yeah, I have been given the, Basically, I you, have been given the nickname the Soup Nazi. <laughs> and if, 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 if anyone knows Seinfeld, they'll, they'll get, they'll, okay. that's what they think I am. Yep, that, yep. that fits for me. Gary, I think we've done a preview. You know we've forgotten? Well, we've forgotten the spit. No, we've forgotten to give a wrap to the four guys that got their Champions Tour card. Oh, of course. Which I think is amazing. The Aussies. Yeah, the five cards were given out. Yeah, that is unbelievable. And we got four Aussies out of the five to play the Champions Tour, which is a big deal. Oh, it's massive, isn't it? It's a big deal. Who were they, guys? Cam Percy. Yep. Michael Wright, Stevie Allen, and Dave Branson. So there's a there's a mixture of characters in that lot, isn't there? Cam Percy, we sort of half expected. I didn't know Wrighty was having a crack. Did anyone know? He snuck, snuck across and- A few Aussies went over there. Like John Wade went over there. Right, okay. There was a few of them that went over there and- Brant, Branson, I can understand because he, he's a he's a very well can understand him getting his card because he still plays really well in Australia on all the major Australian events. You'll see him bobbing up. Steve Allen didn't haven't heard from Stephen Allen for how long? I mean, yeah, you know what? He played the Aussie Open. He looks very fit. He's still strong. He played at Richmond in the Australian Seniors. Oh yeah, okay. I think he had a good finish there, like a 
second or third, oh, third okay. or something. You know, Peter Lonard, you know, I think he's an amazing player. He didn't go this really? time. Okay. But we've seen a lot of good Aussies go over there in the past and not get it done. Yeah. So when you see who's got to qualify too, I find that interesting. I mean, if you if you're one on the US tour, is there some sort of exemption? I'm not sure there is. No, there's a there's, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a point system that I'm sure someone will correct us if we're wrong. But on memory, there's a point system where you've got to accumulate four points in your PJ tour career. Now, a win, a win will give you three points. Uh, okay. Oh, sorry, a win will give you one point. Oh, so okay. if you get oh, one, three, okay. if you get Ooh. if you get three wins on the PJ tour, obviously you've got three points. A major. We'll give you two points. So if you look at someone who, say someone like a Sean McKeel back in the day, mm. who won one major and he didn't have another win, he wouldn't be exempt on the yeah, okay. currently. Okay. Right. They did have that in the past, quite a few years ago. So it is difficult to get on. You've basically mm. got to have four people. So if, if, you know, in seven years' time, when Matt Jones turns 50, he's had two wins on the PJ Tour. Now right. he would have to go to Q School. Yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah, so that'll give you an idea of the quality of player. It's obviously open internationally. I mean, it's not just a no an old boys club that we thought it was for a long time. No. I mean, given there's only I think we're trying to say cards. it's pretty tough to get on there. It is, yeah, clearly. And there's not, you've got to be like in the top 30 to keep from going for, to having to pre-qualify the following year, I believe. So the top, mm, it's tough. Now you can you can you can backdoor your way in there. Like you can you know, someone like someone like Peter Lonard, just say Pete wanted to go over there for a month, he can pre qualify. Right. Which he which he has done in the past. And he was telling me that last year he went over there and one event he shot five under in the pre qualifying didn't get in. Didn't get in. Didn't get in. But just say you pre qualify for an event and you happen to finish second or third in that event. Then, like the PJ Tour, there's a some sort of re-ranking. You can mm, somehow get mm. back into some more events, and yeah. So, like Dave McKenzie, I think finished second in the British Open a couple of years ago, British Open seniors, mm. and that, and then he came back and got a few events, and he had a good couple of good finishes, and then he accumulated enough in those three events to get full status mm, for the next year. Mm. So you you can get in there, other than going through Q School. So, yeah, so a few spots, yeah. It's tough. Gary, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, mate. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, Andy. Andy, our producer. Thank you for all your efforts. My pleasure. And your expertise. And your editing. In, God love your in editing. In editing man. our stuff-ups. <laughs> and you might have had the odd mistake yourself, Andy, through the year. Probably. Little fart, remember that? Yep. Yeah. There is a, there is a rule um, for the listeners' sakes, if you ever get into a radio studio, as we're sitting in now, there is a golden rule you do not drop one. It's just un- it's, it's unwritten. I'm not sure it's written anywhere. Could be, but it's definitely unwritten. You did not drop one. And I broke it. And you busted it. Yep. Andy Bunce. Barrel. What's the address, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Thanks for listening to uh, Backspin from Inside Golf. Uh, Gary and Andy and I all wish everyone a happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. See you in 2024.